So we're talking about uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. We're going to continue to go through this series. And we, uh, we discussed that the magician's nephew was about what? What were the major biblical themes in the magician's nephew? You remember? When the world was created. Yeah, the creation. And then what happened? The fall, all of yeah, that stuff. That, yeah, know. it's basically the early Genesis account. Uh, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe was about what? Uh, huh? Redemption. Redemption, right. Like substitutionary atonement. And what was Prince Caspian about? What were the major biblical themes there? Government, that's right, government and authority. And then the voyage of the dawn treader is about regeneration. Regeneration, the work of the spirit. And so uh, we meet one of the most developed characters in the whole Narnia series, Eustace. (laughs) 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 Right, Eustace Scrub. His His name fits his personality, Eustace Scrub. So we can see from the very beginning he was a very self-centered individual. He's a brat. And, but we can see throughout the book how much he gets transformed and what happens to him. He doesn't always stay a brat. So that's, that's good news, right? So another theme that's present in this book is the destiny of everybody that serves Aslan. Uh, in other words, the destiny of all of those who are regenerated. And good news, they don't go to purgatory. Isn't that good? They go straight to heaven. So, uh, or what's the name? What's the name of heaven in the Narnia series? Um, Aslan's country. Aslan's country. That's right. So, at the end of Prince Caspian, Aslan tells Peter and Susan that they're not going to be coming back to Narnia anymore. It's kind of sad. Why? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're too old. old. They aged out. Well, and so, old people don't get to go here. But Aslan didn't say. Anything that Edmund and Lucy couldn't come back. So they come back in this book for one last visit. And then, and Eustace Scrub gets dragged off in the Narnia with them. Yes. Uh, so in Narnian time, it is about three years after Caspian has defeated Miraz and became king of all of Narnia. So only three years has passed. Uh, and then we have Reepicheep, who is uh, one of uh, Lewis's most memorable characters in this book. And we can really see how great and how noble he is as we read. Uh, we have Drinian, who's the captain of the Dawn Treader. And we have Aslan, who, again, doesn't occupy a very big portion of the book. because, But, but you know, we know he's in the background uh, pr- providentially managing everything. Um, and so uh, there we have our characters. What about the summary and setting of Dawn Treader? Well, Pete, what's Peter doing at the beginning of the book? He's studying for an exam with Diggory, right? And Susan has gone to America with her parents, and this means that Edmund and Lucy, they have to spend some time in Cambridge with the Scrub family. And so they are in a family that's a lot different than they are. And so they're at Eustace's house, and then they are drawn magically through a painting of a Narnian ship hanging on the wall at Eustace's house. How did that painting get there? I don't think I've ever caught that. How that painting got there? How did that? I don't think it was an Narnian. I don't think it was necessarily Maybe it was a ship. Uh, well, I think it was just a ship that looked. You like think so? I don't know. Yeah. It seemed like it was a Narnian ship. I don't know. How did that make it into our world? And how did that get on the wall? And what's? How did that picture become enchanted to be a gateway and a portal to Narnia? Probably as well, yes, but how? Yes. And so, nonetheless, they make it into Narnia again, 
and they, um, <clears throat> after they're rescued from the ocean, uh, the three kids find out that they're on the Dawn Treader, and Caspian has taken an oath with Aslan's permission to sail to the Far East to try to find the seven noblemen who are his friends, or who are his father's friends, who have been sent away by Miraz. So he wants to find them and bring them back. And so as they go east, they come up to many adventures, but the two most important adventures have to do with really the transformation of, of Eustace and the moving of Reepicheep to Aslan's country. Okay? Yeah. And so the, the structure of this book is pretty standard, right? Who, uh, we all like adventure books, and that's essentially what this is. These guys are on a journey going to a faraway land, and they run into many adventures. It's very similar to Lord of the Rings. Uh, as far as the the structure and the way the book works. And uh, so these three English children are pulled into Narnia, and they find themselves on this ship, and it's already on its voyage to the eastern end of the world. And as they travel with the ship's crew, they come upon some really cool stuff, some amazing sights, some interesting challenges and obstacles. Uh, But the book is really focusing on the people. It's really focusing on Eustace in particular. And so, as we know, Eustace, at this point, is an insufferable little brat. And he's nine years old when all this is going on. And, uh, you know, it's very... You know, nine-year-olds can be brats, right? Twelve-year-olds yes. can be brats. Thirteen-year-olds can... I oh, know, I was doing that on purpose. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's, it's typical for uh, a child who hasn't been trained well to be a brat. But Eustace seems to be a very special type of brat. He's more brattier than the rest of them. He's a special brat. He's a special brat. He's on the top of the hierarchy. Yes, he's on the high end of brattiness. Yeah, so, but uh, he has uh, had help in being such a brat because of his parents. Uh, obviously, he's a sinner. And he, his heart is wicked and depraved like all of ours are. But how many of us know uh, your parents can help you become even more of a depraved little brat? Or they can help you get out of that. And it seems like his parents helped him get more and more into it. And so through Eustace, Lewis makes it really clear how much he does not like progressives. He doesn't like uh, modern, uh, these health-obsessed moderns who love everything new and rational and artificial, and they hate everything uh, that's organic and, and came into existence before cars were created. So, and Lewis couldn't put up with these kinds of people who were just obsessed with the new and the novel. And uh, goodness, we can only imagine how our culture would affect him. He'd probably hate our culture. <clears throat> so he... he uh, displays his displeasure at this stuff through Eustace. And one of the many ways that Eustace's parents failed was that they gave Eustace a very modern, man-centered form of education. Now, we've seen in the past uh, in Narnia stories how training in the right kind of stories helps to equip children to handle all kinds of adventures that come to them in Narnia, right? And uh, although Eustace is what uh, we modern educators would call a good student, was he trained in good stories? Was he trained in good books? No. Was he trained in the good books that we read here at Christ Church Academy? Absolutely not. No. He, they had pictures of, of in these books that they were reading of grain elevators and, and, and 
fat foreign children doing exercises. You know that was like all com- communist propaganda back then, right? Because Lewis was writing this in the 50s. And by this point, the Cold War had come between the United States and Russia. And Russia was clearly a communist country. And everybody was super paranoid about communism uh, um, kind of uh, leaking its way into the U.S. And, uh, and, and into Europe. So Lewis is kind of taking a jab at communist propaganda. So Eustace's books, this is how he's being trained. And so I'm going to take a question after. Uh, these books talk about uh, imports and exports and drains, plumbing. It's so boring. You think my classes are boring? Like Talking about this stuff is boring. Uh, but they never talked about dragons. And, and this is why Eustace comes into Narnia not being prepared for what he's going to see. And uh, not only was Eustace's education poor, uh, but because it was grounded on these silly secularist principles that say that the world works just fine without God being involved, uh, Eustace's natural selfishness was reinforced because of that. And in his education, there was no gospel to address the problems of sin. And the end result was that Eustace Scrub was a capital B brat. And uh, all caps. caps. And uh, Lewis draws this out in detail in this book. And he does this in part by including parts of Eustace's journal, which is a very big change in C.S. Lewis's writing style. Um, He usually writes in, obviously, the third-person voice, right? Because he's writing about other people. But uh, in Eustace's journals, he switched... He switches to first-person singular for a an extended period of time. Y- y'all all know what I mean by these things. Y'all are in Greek, so y'all should understand that. Or in English, too, right? So instead of saying they and then naming names and writing sentences, now he's writing I, my, we. Uh, so it gives a, a, a very interesting glimpse into Eustace's mind and how it works. And we can really see how selfish it is. Uh, but this, these journal entries also enables us to know Eustace in more detail than all the other characters. Uh, we, don't, we can't really get in the heads of everybody else as much as we can with Eustace because we don't have everybody else's thoughts on paper. And so in many ways, Eustace is the best developed character in the whole Narnia series except for Aslan. And this makes his transformation, as we see it come about, uh, even more interesting and exciting. And so the Dawn Treader, the ship, is knocked around by a heavy storm. And the afflictions that the storm brings about only reinforces Eustace's selfishness. What did he do all on board the ship? Complain, complain, gripe, complain, uh, trying, trying to get out of work. Um, so that's all he's doing. And when they finally get through the storm, uh, they, uh, they have to find land. Uh, where they can work on repairing the ship. The ship has suffered some damage. And when they get there, Eustace, in his typical selfish way, uh, tries, he runs off to avoid working, uh, repairing the ship. And he ends up getting lost, and he stumbles into a dragon's valley. And uh, shortly after this, he sees a dragon, and he hopes that he is not going to be seen by the dragon, and he freezes in place, Right? Now, this dragon is a very ancient and old dragon, 
and uh, he's kind of hobbling along, barely there, and uh, the dragon's crawling out of his cave to drink from a pond, uh, and when it finally gets to the pond, it dies, okay? And Eustace is like, whew, I'm glad he's dead. I can come out in public. I can, you know, come out from behind the shadows, and, uh, and I'm going to stay in the dragon's cave because it's starting to rain. So that's what he does. And there he finds the dragon's treasure. Dragons always have treasure. It's really interesting. And from the treasure, he puts a bracelet on his arm. Right? Right. Oh, no. Why is this such a bad idea? Because it's dragon treasure, which is enchanted. Right. But he doesn't know that because he's been reading about plumbing all of his life. He doesn't know that at all. So he puts on this bracelet. And then he falls asleep, and when he wakes up, he realizes that he has become a dragon. Mm-hmm. Oh no, dun dun dun. And so he makes his way back to the crew of the Dawn Treader, and he begins to realize that he, in his true dragon like nature, is a genuine burden to the others, and that he is now a real outsider. Uh, he was an outsider before, but now he's a real outsider because when he was human, he at least looked like the other people. Uh, but now as a dragon, he looks nothing like them. And so what was internal inside of him being outside of the group is now external. Now it's really obvious to everyone that he does not belong with them. And, uh, and, as the, and, and the other people can't really figure out a way to undragon him. He's in a, he's in a situation. And uh, he really begins to realize that he is in a hopeless state. Uh, and the others are in a hopeless state because they, can't, they don't want to leave him, right? Although he deserves to be left, right? They do want to leave him. They do a little bit, but then they, they don't end up leaving him, right? They can't really leave him, and he's just kind of hanging around, being, uh, being a, a burden to them. And uh, so what do we do? Well, this is, you see the similarities between this and maybe salvation? I hope so. All right, now, <clears throat> it's really important to note that both Eustace and the crew of the Dawn Treader, they cannot change him. They, can't, they don't have the ability to change him. So Eustace, in a sense, represents the sinner who needs to be converted. But can any of y'all convert me? Like, really? Like, let's say I was the dragon or I was unconverted. Could any of you really convert me? You can tell me the way to be converted, but at the end of it, who does the converting? God does the converting. That's right. So uh, the only way I can be undragoned is if... God undragoned me, right? And so, <clears throat> uh, so the crew of the Dawn Treader represents the church, who is the group of people into which a conversion would place Eustace. But we're, none of us are able of actually doing it. And so when Eustace shows up as a boy again, eventually, because Aslan, uh, Aslan was the one that did it, would, that changed him, um, he meets with Edmund first and he tells him the story in detail, and this enables Lewis, just like with the earlier journal entries, to tell part of the story in the first person singular again. Okay, and, and what Eustace describes is a really amazing picture of the the hopelessness of trying to save yourself, trying to convert on your own. 
And, and, it, and it really demonstrates the absolute necessity of having Aslan do it all. Right? So according to Aslan, Eustace has to bathe himself in a fountain. And what's that a picture of? Bathing yourself. Baptism, right. But this baptism isn't something that he can manipulate to his own ends because Aslan tells him that he must get undressed before he bathes. Okay? Now, Eustace figures out that this must mean that he has to shed his dragon skin. He didn't have any clothes. He's a dragon. He didn't have any clothes on. But apparently, Aslan told him you need to get undressed. And he's like, well, what does that mean? Well, that means I have to somehow shed my skin in order to get into the water. Okay? And what does this shedding of dragon skin represent? Those who have read the introduction should know this. Huh? Well, it it's represents uh, repentance. Like repentance. Like, does God do the repenting for you? No. You have to repent. Right? And you have to be baptized. And so, Eustace scrapes himself free of his skin. And he goes to the water. And he realizes that he it didn't do anything. He's just as scaly and, and uh, as much of a dragon as he ever was. So what does this mean? He was trying to do this himself, right? Can we, can we do the repenting, but can we repent on our own? No. No, we can't do it in our self-efforts. We have to rely on God, and we have to rely on, on the, the works of Jesus Christ in order to do that. So his repentance is superficial. Um, and he means well. He wants to repent, but... Uh, what he's doing on his own isn't adequate. It isn't enough. So Eustace tries again to shed his skin, and he, gets, he has the same result. And so Lewis is trying to make it abundantly clear to the reader that men cannot convert themselves, and they cannot prepare themselves by themselves for conversion. Okay? So all efforts on our own to repent Uh, to convert and to have faith done with only human strength is ultimately going to fail. And as Lewis keeps on hammering in this point, it's clear that Lewis stands firm in the great Orthodox tradition that denies that regeneration is a cooperative thing between God and man. Like you do some things and then God does some things. You ever heard of that before? That's called uh, synergism. Synergism, But we believe, and the, the Orthodox tradition, uh, the Bible teaches, monergism. What do you think that means? Huh? It's either only us or only God. Right. Only one. Mono. One. Alone. Yeah. So, only God does the converting. And that's what Lewis is communicating here. Um <clears throat> So um, so there's a subtle distinction here that I think many people miss, but it's clear uh, when it comes to us in the form of a story. And, you know, of course, Eustace does things, right? He repents. Uh, he makes this, this effort. Uh, he's obviously told to come to the water, and he's told to shed the dragon skin, which he tries to do, uh, and he's told to let Aslan do it, and he eventually rolls over, and he does that. Uh, but in all of this, Eustace contributes nothing to the initial, the essential repentance, which is the taking away of the dragon skin and the dragon nature. Okay, so Lewis is pointing to the monergistic nature of regeneration. 
which means that God is the only one who does the work. Being born again is not a cooperative effort between God and man. It's not synergistic. It's entirely the work of God alone. Okay? Um, another great theme in the book um, is the, the desire for heaven. For heaven. Um, eschatology. Eschatology. What does eschatology mean? You've probably heard this word are floating around here. Eschatology. The study of last things. That's right. Uh, the eschaton, the last times. Um, <clears throat> eschatology is the study of the last things, but it can refer to t- two different kinds of last things, right? One is the sort of last things we, that we'll see in the last battle. You need something? All right, go ahead. Uh, one is the sort of thing we're going to see in the last battle where we are uh, talking about the actual end of history. Okay, the end of time. Uh, the other uh, type of eschatology is what can be called personal and individual eschatology. That means our end, our last time as human beings in this fallen condition on earth. So where will our last times be? Like, where are we going to go? Either heaven or hell, right? And so our Narnian terms, the individual, the eschatology deals with the idea of going into Aslan's country. And to uh, show us this, Lewis shows that Reepicheep has lived his entire life with a desire weighing heavily upon him uh, to go to the utter east, to sail across the ocean there and make his way somehow into Aslan's country. And now, if you can remember, Narnia is not a globe like our world is. Narnia is a flat world. It's flat. And... um, Surrounding the world uh, of this kind of flat disk is a ring of giant mountains. And these mountains are not a part of that world. They are outside of that world entirely. And that is Aslan's country. And now when Repachit was born, uh, a prophecy was spoken over him, telling him that he would sail to the easternmost part of that world and somehow make his way into Aslan's country. And in this, he is like, what Bible characters? Who? Uh, that's like uh, Repachit not dying before going to Aslan's country. What Bible characters didn't die and went straight to heaven? Uh, Elijah. Elijah. Who else? There's one more. Jesus. Jesus did die. Enoch. That's right. Mm-hmm. So these guys, these are men that were uh, brought forth into the presence of God in heaven without going through the normal process of dying. And we're going to see in the next book, The Silver Chair, we're going to see that when someone who loves Aslan dies, he's taken to Aslan's country and he is restored to eternal life. But Repachit, this mouse who Aslan loves, makes his way there directly. Okay, and Repachit is a wonderful character. He's a, he's a great character. And he is, he is honorable. He uh, seeks glory, not for himself, but for Aslan. And he's very courageous for Aslan. And he is the epitome of the perfect warrior. And even though Aslan wonders at one point if he and the other mice uh, do not make too much of his honor, right? Reepicheep's honor. Uh, their love still conquers him. And in Caspian, Prince Caspian, Reepicheep is wounded in battle. Remember what happened to him? You go ahead, Landon. His tail got cut off. Yeah, his tail got cut off. 
Right. And although uh, Lucy's medicine heals him, uh, it doesn't, uh, you know, he, he's injured in other ways too. It doesn't restore his tail that has been cut off in battle. And when Aslan is deciding whether to restore his tail, why, why is it so important that he gets his tail back? Uh, balance and honor. Balance and honor. Yes, that's right. So to be able to balance oneself, and it's, it's an honorable thing to have your tail as a mouse, I guess. So, <clears throat> yeah. Um, so Aslan is deciding whether to restore his tail. Uh, all the other mice do what? They take out their swords, and if Aslan doesn't, cut, uh, doesn't restore uh, Reba Chief's tail, what are they all going to do their own tails? They all cut their tails off too. Boy, what a symbol of honor and camaraderie. They must really love and respect and honor Reepicheep to do that, right? And so this love for Reepicheep mirrors the love that the mice have for Aslan back at the beginning when uh, the mice, remember it was the mice that chewed the ropes uh, that bound Aslan to the stone table. Um, <clears throat> and it's, it's uh, then that they first become talking mice, which is how Aslan... Uh, responded and blessed them for the love that they gave him. They weren't talk there weren't any talking mice before that. He made them talk. And so, and this love c- continues throughout the book and it becomes clear in this book that the love of honor was the product of love and not vanity. And Reepicheep used his sword as a means to an end. And when he finally puts uh, out towards the final east um, in his boat, what does he do with his sword? He throws it away. Why? Because he doesn't need it anymore. He's going into the land of peace. And, and all the evidence shows us that Reepicheep probably, he probably ended up making it to Aslan's country safely, right? And in the, Because in the last battle, we'll read that soon, we're going to see him there. Okay? And I hope we can be as faithful uh, as uh, Reepicheep is, that we may also enter into Aslan's country.